very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show. Today, I'm super excited to have Kathy Kirby um, with me. She's the founder of the best practice coaching.com. Kathy, welcome. Thank you, Nareen. Um, Kathy, um, for those of us who don't know you, I know you are from my neck of the woods, so you are from Canada. So um, whereabouts in Canada? I am. I live in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, which is one of the UNESCO town sites, a very gorgeous area on the eastern coast of Canada. And I practice all across the country. That's great. And uh, you are, you're branching into the U.S. as well, right, lately? I am, yes. That's great. So um, I know we had a small chat before we started recording, and um, you were telling me that your focus is on helping practices be the best they can be. Um, I, I want to kind of elaborate on that. So um, can you, in your own words, describe what that means? Well, Noreen, we, I usually work with three groups within the practice, the clinicians, the administrative end, and also from the patient side. So I want to bring all three pieces together. For the dentists, the hygienists, and the assistants uh, to be the best at their clinical craft. So that's what we work towards, uh, quality care, inventory control, scheduling, Filling the schedule, treatment planning, those types of things. So, and especially uh, one of my favorite spots to work with and group is with the dental hygienists, so that they're seeing the fruits of their labor, that the recare program is continuing, and they have uh, excellent patient compliance. From the administrator's end, for them to be the best at what they do, they love to have a filled schedule collect the monies, um, spending time with educating patients on the treatment option, that gives them the smile on their face. For our patients to benefit and to be the very best, we're looking at full body health and oral health care as well. And uh, that will create success, referrals, happiness, and profits for the practices. Right. Um, how did you get into dentistry, Kathy? Uh, I started as a dental assistant, chairside, knee to knee. My first position many moons ago was with a periodontist. So that's where I uh, gathered my love of the foundation portion for dentistry and working with dental hygienists. Uh, I have a degree in health education from Dalhousie University in Halifax. And upon graduation, I ended up joining Tridont Dental Centers, which was in Canada, the first mall storefront dentistry organization. They had 126 clinics. And uh, we, I worked together with them for seven years, so started working through all the management parts. And like a lot of my counterparts in the dental consulting world, uh, one of my dentists had a friend who had graduated with him, wanted to know what I would pay for leasing space. <laughs> and the, we met for coffee one night and the rest just uh, kind of grew from that. 
So a lot of referrals and just answering one question and one question turns into two questions and three questions. And then I'm generally invited into the practice to work with the whole team to provide excellence and uh, whatever facets they're working on. How long have you been doing this now? I mean, being a consultant. Uh, 35 years. Wow. So you have a ton of experience. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do have a ton of experience and still love it. I still get excited. Every day I go into a new practice. It's like solving a mystery. And you go, aha, there it is. So and, what are some and, of the, and zeroing in. What are some of the common mysteries you see? What are some of the common challenges you see practices face now? Uh, in this day and age, it's the open schedule. A lot of practices are working with their hygiene departments. Oh, somewhere 70, 85% capacity. That's a huge challenge uh, with patients not returning. Our competition is just increasing, you know, double fold in some areas of the maritime region in Canada and the Eastern Seaboard. We were looking at six years ago population percentages, we were looking at 2,500 patients per dentist. In the last study that was done in 2015, we're now down to 1,900 patients per dentist, which is a huge drop in just six years. So having capacity to fill the appointment book is huge. Um, Staffing is huge. Dental assisting To find a dental assistant full-time is becoming more and more difficult. So being creative with the staffing schedules and profit margins falling. Right. Do you see this this, uh, pretty much as a common theme among the many practices you work with? Yes. Right. I was going to ask you, um, we talked about being the best, right? So what are some of the areas, um, let's say you go walk into a practice, what are some of the areas you start tackling first? Uh, Generally start working on the appointment book and the scheduling to see where the cracks and where the patients are falling through. We can begin right at the new patient, uh, looking at their marketing program to bring in new patients. Is there anything in place? Are they having any walk-ins? Are they coming through the internet? And starting with, uh, I like to work with a new patient interview so that those new patients are treated well right from the very beginning. They're greeted, they're met, they sit side by side by uh, one of the team members, whether it be a hygienist or an assistant or one of the admin team to walk through all of their needs, all of their concerns, uh, financial concerns, as well as health concerns, scheduling those appointments to meet the patient's needs as well as the practice needs through, you know, thorough exams. When is the treatment plan presented? When is the scaling done? Is that done at the same appointment? And just trying to work through that patient retention. I found a lot of appointments that are scheduled in older practices are scheduled by route. Patients are just given a time and a date and they're asked to show up and patients often don't. 
We have lots of patients right now, their compliance level is fairly low. Their lifestyle is very difficult. They're running and, you know, traveling and maybe small families are involved and what they thought they were available for six months prior may not necessarily be the case. However, if we can switch some of those patients to coming in the week that they're due or contacting them the week that they're due or a couple of weeks ahead of time, they may be more compliant to their appointment. They're not so surprised and they're, they're available to come. Right. So tweaking some of those types of things in the schedule, uh, really looking at the appointment schedule to see what are our productive times, our productive days, and is uh, typical, sometimes a reduced schedule may be a more profitable schedule with less hours available and more concentrated time. Reduced schedule could be a more profitable schedule, that's? Yeah, absolutely. Demand increases, so if someone is working, uh, oftentimes appointments are granted or available maybe 60 hours a week, eight to eight, some Saturday hours, you know, even some Sunday hours, but concentrating the schedule down to the more profitable days and times Maybe instead of going from 8 o'clock at night with a little supper break, the practice may go to 7 and just taking a shorter 15 or 20-minute kind of coffee break, you know, around the 4, 35 o'clock hour, whichever is not prime time. So by reducing the appointment book by five hours, there's more op- less opportunity for the patients to cancel because they may have to wait a longer time to get those prime times. They may have to wait three weeks or four weeks. Right. You are a fan of um, Christopher Phelps, right? I am. I am. So do you apply any of those influence principles that he talks about? And of course, that Robert Cialdini made famous? Yes. So working with the patients directly and not through a second medium um, with the dentist is crucial. So that they're understanding and they're working together to plan and that we get an active yes from the patient, that they're actually engaged in the treatment and this is the treatment that they would love to have. Right. Do you see, um, do you see um, in terms of issues, you talked about some of the common issues you see. I mean, um, so one of the things you talked about is, is people not showing up, right? And also the increased competition. Um, so doing the same old thing the same old way probably is not going to cut it. Um, not anymore. Yeah. So do you feel um, like, you know, no shows, the reason they don't show up probably is because they don't feel like they have a relationship, right? I mean, if you make a commitment Absolutely. to a yeah. friend and you tell the friend, I'm going to show up, you will show up, right? Because you don't want to yes. you know, yes. make the friend wait for you. But of course, if I don't feel anything towards you, then it doesn't matter whether I show up or not, right? So that's... Yeah, they may feel like they're a number. Right. That they've just been rescheduled for, you know, the sake of... I've met, in working with a lot of practices, an older philosophy was that everyone needed to leave with another appointment. Yeah. And I can go to the hygienist and say, now let's take a look at 
to schedule in two weeks. Can you tell me which of the patients are not going to show by habit that they're, they cancel and fail? And generally, they will pick out two, three, five patients from two weeks out that they know won't show or they're difficult to reach, or they don't have a commitment. My concern would be, why are we pre-booking those patients? And blocking that time, so instead of being preventative, now we're being defensive, we're finding out one or two days in advance that this patient is not gonna show, if we're lucky, and that we have to scramble to find a compromised patient to put in that time. And a lot of times we may be trying to fill a six-unit slot and the best we can do is fill it with a four-unit patient. So we're losing time, you know, throughout the day all the time. Right, right. Interesting. We talked about um, open, uh, open schedules and people not showing up. What's the second biggest issue that you run into in, 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 uh, you know, in, your, in your coaching? Uh, staffing would be probably two issues on the staffing would be motivation and absenteeism. And maybe those two go hand in hand. Right. So what, A do, you lot. Think, what, Sorry, do, you, what do you think causes uh, the motivation issue, for example? Engagement. Team members like to be a part of the decision. I think it's even gone further than like. I think they need to be part of the process. If we were looking at a reduction of clinical hours, every person on the team would love to be included in that conversation rather than it coming from a directive for the dent- from the dentist or the practice manager. They may have a whole raft, especially the dental assistants, they may have a whole raft of names and patients who aren't available to come during evening hours. We find a lot of time in an older practice that's been established for a long time, a lot of the patients don't like to travel at night. Uh, that you know, older patients, and they may be eyesight. They don't like to travel in the in you know harsh weather. So leaving open a lot of evening hours because we thought we were captivating a market there. That may have changed over the last ten or twenty years. And the assistants and the hygienists, they love to be part of that conversation that helps select hours. I think a directive or an incentive can come from the top that says, I think we can reduce our hours by five per week. Which clinical hours would we drop off? The early mornings, the late afternoons, the evenings, the Saturdays. I think participating in that, I think staff feel that they have ownership. They've made that decision. They like to see the results of that. They love to see numbers. I love going into a team meeting and bringing you know, numbers from what we had done from a month ago. Say we were implementing um, new patient interviews and we saw 20 new patient interviews and how many of those patients rebooked for major treatment as opposed to the previous month when we weren't doing the new patient interviews. 
staff get excited about that. They start bringing to the management team ideas of how to improve and increase that. I think when they're attached to the decisions in the team, they're less likely to jump ship to go to another practice that may be offering a dollar an hour more or a different retirement benefit or something like that. So keeping staff engaged, participating, and in the know are some of the things that we can certainly improve on. Right. So you feel the reason staff is not engaged is because the owners don't get them involved in the, in the decision-making or is there anything more than that? They, they tend not to involve them. The leadership is maybe, especially in the boomers, maybe more authoritarian rather than participatory. Right. And you're saying that doesn't work with the... No. Not as, not as well with, with a millennial. Millennial likes to be involved. They like to be creative. They like to participate. And they need to be able to see that. They need to have something that they're in control of. I love looking at the roles that everyone plays in the office and their job descriptions and what they really excel at and trying to fit something to that person so that they have a division that they're responsible for. For example, with inventory control, if I have someone who really watches their their little bit on the OCD side and everything is neat and tidy and organized, they may be the perfect person to look at the inventory control. They know when they're matching, they are looking, you know, at the sales, what their group buying offers are, what products we're using, what products we're not using. And they may be the go-to person for anything that has to do with inventory. So just directing the other team members to say Sally, uh, who's actually handling all of our new purchases. If you have any questions, you know, or you've seen something at a course, go to Sally and she can research it out for us. And then we can see if it's something we want to bring into the practice from the materials or the inventory side. And I find that Sally will end up coming to myself or the dentist or the manager and saying, hey, I just had this great idea. I have a way of reducing or recycling. And it's a lot of those ideas are worth thousands of dollars. Right. And it gets them excited. They like to come to work in the day. Right. Let's talk about the patient experience. Like from a patient's point of view, what do you, what do you see happening in practices? Uh, I, I'm a little concerned that sometimes the patients are thought of as the 10 o'clock rather than John Smith. Right. And knowing a little bit, I'm a huge fan of the morning meeting and the morning huddle. Uh, with the team so that they can share not only treatment, but little tidbits regarding John Smith. 
You know, there was an article in the paper last week that his son just made this swim team. Right. So that that can be brought up and that can be a part of the conversation. Right, right. And that they feel, you know, as you mentioned earlier, as part of the family and they're less likely to cancel or fail. They're more committed to their treatment. I think that there's a huge push on now uh, with full body health and what role good oral care has with that. So if we see someone who's in a new workout regime or, you know, just did a marathon, they are probably a more captive audience to hearing about how they can also take care and keep their oral tissues healthy for a lifetime. Right. I was going to say, um, do you feel patients don't feel like they're being treated like a person as an individual? Sometimes. Right. I think we have an excellent opportunity now with the competition levels and the lower patient levels per capita per dentist that we actually have a little bit more time. Right. And that we can encourage those conversations and we can encourage their participation. We don't have to run on such a tight schedule. For instance, going back to the new patient interview or the new patient exam, having a patient arrive um, 20 minutes prior to their appointment, or that's actually part of their appointment, where they're meeting with their hygienist and they're going through their health history together. That creates a bond as opposed to, I was in a practice about two weeks ago and they had the old clipboard with the old form attached to it and the administrative person, the receptionist, didn't even stand up to greet the new patient who was arriving to the practice. They didn't ask any questions personally. They just said, oh, Jim, here, fill out this form. And they handed the clipboard with the old form. And don't forget that there's two sides to that form. And when you're finished, bring it up to me. Right. And I just, you know, just kind of find that old style cold. Uh, it doesn't encourage conversation. It doesn't encourage uh, the patient to talk about their fears, their concerns, you know, even that they have a common ground that they have been referred by someone. We know that the value of a new patient is about $700 Canadian per year. So spending that extra 20 minutes and, you know, having a staff member sit with them, having a little quiet corner and having them sit with them and walking through that form, I think takes out the coldness. It allows to put, new information in we can scribble on the side we can 
you know, make a comment that they were referred by not only one other of our patients, but maybe two or three, they know other people who come here. Why they came here, they're going to be an excellent ground for referrals in the future. Right. So you're saying the more we focus on what we want, the less we get what we want. Yes. <laughs> the more we focus on helping other people get what they want, the more we get what we want. 100%. Because we take the time and we listen. Oh, I had uh, an information video running in one of the patient waiting rooms. And there was a lady there who was just picking up someone else and she was sitting in the waiting room and I was just going around picking up the magazines and straightening things out. I have a little OCD myself. So I was just doing that and she looked at this video and she says, do you guys do that here? And I look at the video and it was dentures, complete dentures. And I said, of course we do that here. But she had thought dentures were only done at a denturist. And we got a second referral from her. She referred her mother to us. I didn't know that you guys did that. And I'm already coming here. I might as well bring my mom in. So, right. you know, sometimes we forget to even pay attention to what's going on. And we sometimes forget because we do things so routinely. We forget we're doing them. Right. I think everybody likes special attention and to be called by name. Right. I think the world we are moving towards, it's so disconnected, right? We are just, we don't have a relationship with the person. It's mostly with the device. So when a person yes. talks to you and listens to you and gives you attention, that itself is like a huge, you know, thank you for doing that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the few places I think we have a captive audience when we have a patient in the chair very few, it's still very few and far between that they will actually take a phone call or that they will not turn their phone off. They'll turn their phone upside down, put it in their pocket, and they'll pay attention. So they're attuned. They're ready and willing. They're telling us that they're ready to listen to what we have to say. Right. And it's an excellent opportunity for us to pass on the information that we have. The doctors you work with, do they, you know, what age group are they? Like, is it all over the place or is it certain types of doctors more than others? I would say the majority of mine are 55 plus. So They've done well. They may have been the original um, owners of the practice, the one and only. They may have started from scratch. They have not bought a practice. So they didn't have that financial burden. They grew a practice. Right. What are some of the things baby boomers are thinking of right now? I mean, owners. Uh, the time to leave the practice. How can they get the biggest bang for their dollar? Right. I work with a lot of practices who are looking to substantially grow the production of the practice uh, for the next two or three years before they're ready to sell. So they're a little bit, um, they're interested now. They have an interest in increasing the value for the practice. 
they I think with the assessments and evaluations that are being performed now that we have to have we must have accurate patient counts the most recent numbers that I'm seeing are, or timelines are between 18 months and two years since a patient's last been in. If a patient hasn't been in in that time frame, they're generally not counted as part of the buy-sell arrangement. Right. So- and for many practices, that's a huge number. Right. And some people are saying that if they haven't been there for six months or even you know one year that they are not active patients anymore yeah <laughs> i think that number is decreasing yeah. that number in my you know i'm sure that we were doing the last three years and we would forgive patients who hadn't been in for three years now i'm seeing more frequently 18 months right and the reason is people probably means they have moved on they have gone somewhere else yes yes you yeah know. they've moved somewhere else more and their lifestyle doesn't match the practice any longer. Right, right. But we need to clarify that. And I'm amazed. Generally, when I work in a practice and I'm take, we're looking at the hygiene program or the recare program, I'll take 100 charts, whether they're digital or whether they're in the um, filing system and they're all paper charts, and just map out within an hour. You can map out 100 patients to determine when the last visit was was and i'm finding over 20 percent generally 22 26 somewhere in that a quarter of the patients have not been in within that 18 month period that's alarming right and they haven't been tapped and they haven't been reached in any methodology at all for the practice and they're alarmed. They can't believe it. But when I put a name to that number, they sit, they sit up and they start listening to how we can approach those practice, uh, those patients and how we can bring them forward or at least clean them up. And it makes the admin team so much happier when they're working with a clean recare list than a lot of old garbage lists. They're getting more successes. We can increase their um, appointment bookings and their success rate, you know, probably 10, 20% by just cleaning up. They're calling real patients who have been in recently, and we can have a good conversation with them and rebook them. Patients who haven't been in for three years, two years, it's hard for the person who's calling or trying to schedule that appointment to get excited about this patient. Right. So it's hard to put the warmth and the empathy into the voice to try and get the appointment. It's just harder. So what they tend to do is go to the ones who I know will book first, (laughs) as we all do, you know, the lowest hanging fruit. And then they put off getting a hold of the older patients who haven't been in. And then those patients, then they run out of time for the day. And then those patients just keep getting put off to the side and the longevity grows and grows and grows. Right. Makes sense. Thanks a lot. Anything else you want to share with us, Kathy, before we wrap up? Uh, 
just the last part would be on overhead and expenses. I've been pleasantly surprised in the last uh, little while working with dental peers and some of the new players into the market. Um, Merchant fees that we've been paying for years because we went with our original bank that we set up our banking with years and years ago. Uh, Finding there's huge competition in the merchant fees division uh, with both American and Canadian companies who can substantially reduce those fees. Uh, We're talking thousands per month in large practices that are taking Visa, MasterCard, Amex, and inventory control. I'm still finding practices that are in the double digits for their inventory based on their production. And we know now that five and 6% is the norm. So just to see that waste uh, go and to, to look at those expenses. It just seems like it's been a long time since they've looked at those expenses and reviewed them and to find some easy fixes right. for there. So those, those are probably some of the, the quick things, the, the low-hanging things that we can work with. Right. Thank you very much, Kathy. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Uh, the best way is to reach me through by phone, uh, 902-489-5514, or by email at Kathy, Kathy with a K, at thebestpracticecoaching.com, or through my website, thebestpracticecoaching.com. Perfect. Thank you very much, Kathy, and thank you everyone for listening Thanks, to Thanks, Yeah, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the Growing Dentist Podcast Show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.